Oh, oh man. <laughs> well, good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Did you have a hope, uh, a Merry Christmas? I hope you had a Merry Christmas, right? Get some cool stuff. Let's, let's pray before we begin. Oh, Father God, we thank you for laughter. Lord, thank you for, for all the gifts, for all the blessings you have given us in this life. That you will provide for us. That you have, you are, and you will. You're a God that keeps your promises, Lord. That's so much of what we talked about on Christmas Eve. But Lord, it is so true. Now, glory to the newborn king. Glory to the one that has come that man may no more may die. That we can have second birth, Lord, through the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for that glorious truth. But Lord, as we look back at a very difficult year, Give us guidance, give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to know you more, to lean on you, to trust you, and to know your scripture, to know your absolute truth, to know that this is reality, this is what is true. And Lord, that we would go and tell that we would go and talk, that we would go and pray, that we would go. So help us, Lord, as we open up your word and talk about the, the days, that we would uh, just praise you all the more, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, at the beginning of this year, a lot of pastors and a lot of ministry leaders were saying, hey, you know, this is the year, man. I'm like, the year of what? The year of vision. 2020, what's your vision? I'm like, no, no. What's worse than a dad joke? A pastor dad joke. That's that's what's worse than a dad joke. Um, like, no, no, that was that was my thought right there. That's a little cheesy. That's That's pretty bad. I wasn't going to go there. But I was like, you know, as, as the year came to a close, and as we saw a year literally in human history that I've, at least in my 35 years, have never seen, um, I thought, yeah, we should probably talk about vision now. <laughs> yeah, we should ask the question, 2020, what is your vision? Yeah, I've, I've never seen something like this. It was a year full of fire. Uh, most of Australia, if you remember, was engulfed in flames at the beginning of this year. It was a year of a virus. It was a year in the first time of human history that the healthy were quarantined in a lockdown that has changed the world. We have seen fear take hold as overwhelmed hospitals made dance videos. We have seen peaceful protests burn down cities in the name of justice. And we have seen suicides increase as hopelessness takes hold. No doubt about it, 2020 will go down. 
as a year of a historical event with the most contested presidential election we've ever seen to a new normal. So as I, as I was thinking about what to preach on today, I, I really wanted to talk about vision. But what, is we, what are we as the followers of Jesus to do? You know, what can we do in a world full of lies, full of tweets, full of memes, and of course, the great Russian disinformation program that if you disagree, you're that. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, um, you know, you know the, I can't remember who said it, but uh, the first casualty in war is, is the truth. Uh, the first, so... I'll Google that one later. We'll, we'll find out where that, that one is, too. It's probably Winston Churchill. No, it's, it's probably not. Um, you know, I come to this year, come from this year with a yearning, a thirst for someone we can trust. And thankfully, we have just that in Jesus the Messiah. But I, as I was wondering about that, as I was looking at just my own self, I was thinking, you know, what if the world has that same yearning? What could they answer it with? Being a history nerd, it's with another dictator, with another ruler ready to make himself God. And we would call him the Antichrist in the Bible. Now, the world seems to be at a point where it could come to that but we need to stop there because we don't know the dates or times, right? But it seems poised. Poised for someone to come and point, do this, do that, obey. But only God knows the time, the times. First and foremost, what 2020 has made clear to me is that people are ready to have someone to tell them how to live their whole life when to go see family, when to worship. And when I thought about that, you know, we lost 10 weeks of the year together. You know, I'm sorry for that. I am. Where to shop. You know, and this is not discounting a virus I, that will kill people, has killed people, does hurt loved ones, has loved, hurt loved ones. But as we look back in history, uh, Dennis Prager has pointed this out. Larry Elder has pointed this out. The great videos from Prager U and Larry Elder with Epoch Times have pointed out to the year of 1968 and 1969 with the Hong Kong flu. It killed one million people worldwide and 100,000 people died in the United States. No lockdowns, no nothing. What happened in the year of 1969 was the summer of love event, right? Woodstock. And uh, let's just say there was no six feet apart. Well, we'll, we'll stop there. There were no lockdowns, no businesses losing out. The argument goes like this, will lockdowns save lives? Really? I've personally known more people affected by suicide this year than I have a virus yet. And in Japan alone, for the month of October, they've lost more people from suicide than a virus for the whole year of COVID because we are coming to a year now. 
Yes, the death rate in the United States is higher. It's 320,000 when I wrote. So it's, it's probably a little higher from the virus, but people do live longer. And if you look at the data just from Colorado alone, there have been 3,511 deaths, I think. Well, this was Wednesday when I was researching this part. But if you look closer, 3,012 of those have been from 55 to 85 plus. And for the data, it doesn't tell us the comorbidity. It doesn't tell us what else is wrong with the people. It doesn't inform us. No, the, the narrative is leading somewhere. Whether it is to just the elites wanting to gain more power or a clash of worldviews in the streets, which I, I've seen both. <laughs> um, we need trusted information. But no, we get the, hey, just put it on. But it doesn't work. No, put it on. Uh, I was watching uh, Turning Point USA. Totally recommend it. They have a lot of different speakers. Senator Rand Paul was there, and he was saying that uh, the, the cloth masks work zero to none. 97% of the time, they do not work. Whoa. So a 3% chance. He's like, it's not about a virus. It's about submission. That, that put it on the nose. I'll lay my money on that. You know, we, as followers of Jesus, need to understand this, what the Apostle John says. We know that we are from God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. The son, he is the son. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. And eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. And we need to know this. In Christ, we are from God. We are set apart. But the whole world lies lies in the power of the evil one in the lap of Satan. But the Son of God has come to give us understanding that we would know what is true. And Jesus is the true one. We stand in this truth that Jesus alone gives us eternal life. We are safe and secure in him. So let us live in that truth. Uh, recently I was asking mainly because Dennis Prager asked it in his uh, last, so two weeks ago in his fireside chat, which I, I totally recommend. You know, he's an interesting fellow, but I, I really, and it makes Thursdays wonderful. I, I wait for his uh, fireside chat thing on YouTube. Um, I don't agree with everything. Uh, he's an Orthodox Jew, but I've learned a lot from him. Um, but he asked this question, what, what changed? You know, from 1969 to 2020, what changed? Well, my, my answer was along these lines. Well, the Judeo-Christian worldview was still dominant, even in the 60s. Sorry, hippies. We're, we, were still, <laughs> we were still dominant. Um, they, they like to think they were, right? You know, we'll, we'll let them know. Um, you know, <laughs> we'll let them know later. But now in 2020, the dominant worldview is postmodernism, secular humanism with sides of Marxism and, and post-truth. You know, Postmodernism would say that truth is the enemy, 
Secular humanism would say that religious people are the enemy. Marxism would say the rich people are the enemy. And the post-truth would say my feelings matter more than the details. This is what our world believes. So when faced with death, it was lockdown. It was shutting off life to save life, to stop a virus. You can't. You know, the side that tells us to follow the science, science says you can't stop a virus. If a mask can't stop the flu, how can it stop something more volatile? And none of it has worked, and sadly, they will try again. I, I, I really wanted to stop here and say, you know, we understand. We, we've been totally understanding that if you have an underlying health condition, if you're unable to come, we, we totally understand, and we are here for you. But let us not give in to fear. Let us not think that we can save ourselves and that is the problem with these dominant worldviews is that you have to be your own savior in all of those. You have to make it work somehow. Well, it's not working. We quarantine the sick. We quarantine the elderly. We quarantine those with underlying health conditions. We bring them the vaccine. We bring them the love. But for some reason, we are told to Zoom and to stay away while Hollywood and politicians have their feasts and riots turn down the, tear down the block. So in 2020, what's your vision? What can we learn from this year to better our next steps as we slowly open the door to next month, the next year? <laughs> now the question is, who builds our life? Who is the captain of your soul. You ever watch Invictus or hear that poem? No? It's very anti-godly, but it's a really cool poem. <laughs> but, you, know, it's, um, you know, it's all about I am the captain of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's like, no, don't, don't, don't go there. <laughs> be, have the Lord be the captain of your soul. Jesus, take the wheel, right? There we go. Country, country song. <laughs> is it ourselves or is it the Lord? Now, please turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 127. The psalmist says this in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate.
unless the Lord builds a house that is useless. Unless the Lord of hosts, the upholder of the universe, builds it, it is in vain. And what is our foundation? What is our worldview, right? How do we view this life? Because if we don't live in reality but if, and live in a lie, how do we live? Sure, we may breathe, but who doesn't want a full life? Well, lies will never get us there. Lies only bring us down. Paul says this in Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's our natural bend. Now, Dennis Prager said it, that our natural bend is not liberty. We're okay with control. We're okay with suppressing things. We must rest upon the Lord first and foremost to build our house, our life. We must live in reality and truth. We cannot or should not suppress it. For that would be like a watchman watching a city in vain because the Lord does not watch that city. So it will fall. Its destruction will come. If we rise up, if we go late to rest, if we do all of this in our vanity, all of this in our power, in our reality, in our own truth, we will only eat the bread of anxious toil. That tastes good, right? No, I think it probably tastes like... Vegemite, right? <laughs> Who likes Vegemite? No, no mm, don't. Yeah, spam is okay. Vegemite, mm. <laughs> like, uh, uh, and there's also a Marmite too, apparently. Just to let you know. Sorry, YouTube fact. There you go. <laughs> there's no rest there. He alone, the Lord alone, gives his beloved sleep. Rest alone, rest, true rest, comes from the Lord, not the world. He gives us a heritage. He gives us children. This is a reward, the fruit of a womb. In just one verse right there, we can see how much the world, the culture, the human heart hates God. Because we've been conformed to not believe this. And if we do, we are the weirdo, the religious fanatic who dare save life that cannot speak for itself. The text says that children are like arrows. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. They are a blessing, not a choice. A blessing. And he will not be put to shame at the gate of the city. Now city gates weren't like the medieval ones that you see in the movies, but they actually were like two tier or three tier little things. And all the elders would sit there and talk. It's like the shop down, <laughs> down there where they all sit and talk. That's the city gates. You know, and they'd come, well, their enemies would come and make a, well, no, well, their sons would be right there. Uh, no, our dad didn't do that. And so the enemy would go away beaten because there would be, a uh, status quo of the of the father 
that he would not be put to shame because the warrior with the arrows has been blessed by the Lord. The Lord has built his life. The Lord has given him children, rest, and blessing. And what else could we ask for right there? You know, you know it comes to the question of what speaks loudest in our lives. Is it pain? Is it fear? Is it enjoyment or hobbies? Is it the new toys we just got? <laughs> but, but what speaks loudest? What speaks the longest? It's our legacy, right? How we raise our children, how we are blessed by the Almighty, how we went about trusting in the Lord and not ourselves. That is where the world fails us. And matter-of-factly, that is where the church has failed as well. I feel like the church as a whole is not brave. Now, thankfully, I, I look and I see a lot of brave believers in our age. But I feel like the church has been fine with a state-run affair, even in America. The church is not standing for the weak standing for those unable to speak for themselves. No, sadly, the church that I see right now is badly fractured, fragmented, and frustrated as a, as a whole evangelicalism with the world and is badly wanting to just hide away, keep its head down and stay away from what's going on. As I, as I thought about that, I'm like, well, I've been kind of wanting to read this quote and... I'm going to, I'm going to, Erwin Lutzer has written uh, two books on a subject that I strongly recommend as, as I've been seeing things going on. Um, but, you know, I, I never recommend books any, right? No, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, two of them are Hitler's cross. And the second one is when a nation forgets God. Uh, both of these actually deal with the church of the 1930s in Germany and of what happened there and how things took place. <clears throat> I'd like to read a quote from When a Nation Forgets God. You know, Luther, Lutzer uh, records this eyewitness account from Germany. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church each Sunday morning. We could hear the whistles in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the trains, the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle and cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sounds of those wheels because we knew we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to death, to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. 
Years have passed and no one talks about it anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. Now, Lutzer here, even in the book, tells us not to be too critical, but to ask ourselves, what would we have done? Saying, stood in front of the train, hid as many Jews from the Nazis as we could have? The question in canon should be answered with this, who do we truly fear? Do we fear man or do we fear the Lord? Do we understand that we will give an account to God for our lives? Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. As we walk in this life for Jesus, with Jesus, we must look at it this way. We come after him, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross follow him if we are about our life in today we will lose it but if we lose our life to him we will find it by him in him there is no profit for anyone who gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul for there is nothing worth a soul but therefore, we live in this light that the Son of Man is coming back, right? As God who keeps his promises, he will come back, bringing judgment and his hosts with him, and he will render all things. I'm thankful that that story from Germany is not the only one that you can read. There are other pastors, along with Neumler and Bonhoeffer, being probably the most famous known one but also thousands of pastors that stood against the Reich. And there are families, families like Corey Ten Boom's, who's another recommended reading, The Hiding Place. We can watch the movie. That, we'll do that instead. How about that? <laughs> you know, we, uh, we see families. Denmark is known to have hidden almost all of their Jews during the Holocaust and paid the price of being sent to death camps themselves. I found this out from Dennis Prager last night as well. He studied a lot of the Holocaust being at his, his lineage. There were people that were anti-Semites that, that hid Jews from the Nazis. Like, what? Like, I hate you, but I'm not going to let that happen. That's crazy. It's crazy. But what speaks loudest in our lives? The fear of man or the fear of the Lord? 
in our acceptance of the evils of our world, the injustices of our time, and the acceptance of our own sins tells us that. So let us strive to be brave, to stand against the evil and the injustice and the sin of our own lives, our own culture, our own world today. So how do we do that? Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. But this answers the question of where, where do we start? Where can we go today and start? Because it's not with the, the media. It's not with our politicians. It starts with the Lord, with the truth to flush out the lies. How we read this in verses 1 and 2. Paul states this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The, the appeal here is to present ourselves as living sacrifices. And this can only be done by the mercies of God. Now this is a, a living sacrifice. It's holy, it's set apart, it's acceptable to God because it is our spiritual worship. We are called to not be conformed, to not be pressed into a mold. No, we are to be transformed by the very renewal of our minds by being in the breathed out word of God and by having communion with him, we are changed, we're made new. Yeah, as we go forward testing and discerning what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect throughout this life, yeah, I think that in light of 2020, I'm like, that's a good verse, right? <laughs> that's the most needed verse. Because the question that I've come away with, not just once, but quite a few times throughout this year, is who can I trust? Who can I trust? It's, a, it's very fitting because we do live in this era that is called post-truth. They keep on name, renaming and naming things, but it means that the world is being framed and formed into this appeal for emotion more than details. The facts don't matter, and they are outrightly ignored. It's not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be. So who do we trust? Where do we go? Where do we start? Well, the base of old wisdom, as the proverb, proverb says, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction and the world apart from the fear of the Lord may get far, but not far enough. Because the fool will always fall. Why? Because they despise wisdom and instruction. So let us be a people who fear the Lord because it, that right there is the beginning of knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. That builds life, character, habits that not only just infect or affect 
ourselves. And in fact, yeah, that's a good word for 2020. Uh, but they affect ourselves, our family, our neighbors, our country, our world. So we come to trust him and not ourselves. Please turn your Bibles with me to Proverbs 3. Or did you just want to quote it for us, Miss March? No. <laughs> I thought that was pretty fitting when I was when I was writing this. I'm like, hey, we were just talking about this one. But Proverbs three verses five through seven says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We need to trust the Lord with our whole heart. We need to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge him. For he alone can make paths straight. And as we, as we work on this, Throughout life, we work on this as well, to not be wise in our own eyes. But we have it all together, right? No, we don't, right? We come to think that every once in a while, maybe. <laughs> but we, we work on that. We need to work on that as well, to lean on him and to understand, hey, I don't, I don't know at all. I am not to be wise in my own eyes, but to turn away from evil. We find our foundation in the Lord and building our life upon him and trusting in him. And with that comes certainty, hope, promise, and purpose. Now, I'd like to stop here for a minute because I, I kind of, as I was writing this, I fear that I might be misheard. I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, don't trust your doctor. I'm saying questioning things is fine. You know, the world would label us Russian disinformation for even talking about this stuff or... or Conspiracy theorists, yeah, yeah, I like that one. <laughs> um, but, you know, questioning the data, looking at the data, seeing the big picture is what is needed here. Because we cannot put our own whole weight on medicine, politics, and peoples, or promises of a better utopia, because that's what Marxism is trying to lead us through to by evil means. No, we put our weight, our hope, our person our our whole being into one person the son of man who bled and died for you and for me and i totally understand and do still today of people staying home and being safe of making their own decisions with the data but through this through this year i have struggled through and have chosen not to go back to fear Fear of the unknown, fear of death, fear of singing and killing those that I love, fear of a culture tearing itself apart because it does not know what it is anymore, the fear of man, the fear of civil disorder. The scripture says strongly 365 times, do not fear. We needed it each day of the year, and we still need it. So why? Why do we fear? Why are we not brave? Where is the unity in the church? The church, the true church, will not be overcome 
But I fear, and well, not fear it, but I see it, that we are seeing it in our day, the implosion of the cultural church within Western nations. And we are seeing the sinking back into a Greco-Roman world of muck. But thankfully, the glory of reason, the light of an individual, of a person that came incarnate to this world that has lifted us out of that, is still here. But now it is an uphill battle. You know, the hope of a believer is, is not in our own means, nor is it in our civilization. Because the biblical narrative tells us that all have gone our own way. Our very civilization is full of sinners who are in rebellion against the Almighty. So we find our hope in the Son of Man, the Son of David, born in Bethlehem. You know, we're going to sing Christmas songs next Sunday too, right? Let's just keep it on, right? <laughs> um, I love him. And we cling to him, for he not only made history, formed history, he will also judge history. So we take refuge in the Lord. You know, the current culture hides death. And we don't see it day to day. We put away loved ones in hospitals and nursing homes. We think maybe we can live forever. But the truth is we will not. Death comes for all of humanity. This we can be sure of. Um, please turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28, the author says this, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year, with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. Now Jesus was presented to God on our behalf. He walked through the holies of holies that are, you know, we, we saw the copies here, and we'll see probably, yeah, yeah, we will see a third temple, um, but there's copies in heaven, or copies on earth of the real things in heaven. And he is presented blameless he takes the place of sinners who cannot stand before a holy god and once and for all at the right time jesus christ died once for all sinners by this sacrifice he puts away sin that, that kind of made me think of like jesus just like kind of shoving it in the cupboard right you know oh, there you, bye <laughs> yeah, it's it's gone so trust in him 
This is a sure thing, just as this is a sure thing that is appointed for man to die once and then to face judgment. This is a sure thing. We will all die. Or quoting uh, John MacArthur, all life is terminal and we will face our maker. So we trust Jesus because he alone bears sin for me and for you, for all of us. And we will come, and he will come again to those awaiting him and take them home. Now this is the problem in the world today. It thinks it can stop death. Now one friend of mine at a birthday party was asking you, what is all this about? What has this been about? And I'm like, it's the secular humanist worldview saying we can stop it. But they're wrong. And they have in fact caused more death with this solution. This is why we need a reality check that death does come because of sin. There is no stopping it. Every one, every one soul will be required of them. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 52. I thought this was really cool and it popped up just in my reading and I was like oh look a verse for Sunday <laughs> well a psalm for Sunday but the text says this in Psalm 52 why do you boast of evil almighty man the steadfast love of God endures all day your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor your worker you worker of deceit you love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. Shalah. Stop and think about that. You love all words that devour. Oh, deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Shalah. Stop think about that the righteous shall see and fear and laugh at him saying see the man who would not make God his refuge but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God I trusted in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. <clears throat> I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. Now the psalmist asks a question. Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? How I look at the world today and I see a lot of pride of life a lot of people that think they know best so follow it with no question but there is something that lasts longer than an evil man's boasts 
The steadfast love of God endures day by day. It will get us through. The evil one plots destruction with their tongues, their words. They lie more and more of everything than speaking what is right. Stop and think about that. That's what Shelah means, or they think it means, or it's a musical symbol within this, the Psalms. Should a person that has a double tongue be trusted? Should they even be a leader? No. Because their love of lying words devour. This is what a deceitful tongue enjoys. They enjoy lying. They cannot get enough of it. But know this, God will break them down forever. Be warned. This is the fate of those. I cite Psalm 2 right there. <laughs> Psalm 2 shows us what the nation's leaders will do. The Lord will tear them from their tent, from their life. It will be over. They will not be in the land of the living. Stop and think about that. Like, whoa, pastor, that's a lot of judgment. But it's true. It's good, true judgment from a God who knows everyone's hearts and minds and there's nothing hidden from his sight. And both sides of the aisle need to know that. The warnings of judgment do not come without a choice. The psalm goes on, hear this, the righteous shall see and fear and laugh at him. This happens because those set apart from the world know we should always fear God. So they point and say, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. I'm just trying to think about that, right? You know, it's like the Bible finds it laughable that a person would trust in themselves. The Bible sees that fools despise wisdom, despise instruction. Because we cannot save ourselves, we cannot and should not trust our own works, riches, or our own refuge to get us there to the everlasting. The righteous, on the other hand, are like a green olive tree in the house of the Lord. So the righteous trust in the steadfast love of the Lord God forever and ever, and they thank him because the Lord has done this. The Lord alone has done it. So we wait upon him. We wait upon his name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. We're going to stop and, you know, why, why is it that, you know, our Lord's name is a curse word and yet no other religious leader, you know, no one stubs their toe. Oh, Muhammad, no one, no, no one, does. Joseph Smith, you know, no one does that. But in the presence of the godly, his name is good. His name is that that saves and yet it is profaned through the world. You know, the world says, have it your own way. I'm going to start that Joseph Smith trend, okay? <laughs> um, the world says, have it your own way. Do it my way. No, the Lord says, stop. Trust in me. Shelah.
be still and know that I am God, he will get us through. There is no hope in death apart from Jesus Christ. In this world, the only path that they try and take and say it will lead to life leads to death. In the Lord, there is everlasting life. Jesus says it this way, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall, yet he shall live. Christ alone is the resurrection and the life. No one else can lay hold to that claim. So everyone who believes in him, even if they die, shall live. In a world full of leaders telling us to stop living life in order to save it, how far can we go before we bankrupt the world, before we follow a leader who takes us to a final solution that takes our very soul? How far? Where is the line? I ask these questions because there is no answer from those who yet again and again break their own order. These people should not be above it. And I totally understand, even, even in that, you know, it's not that I disagree that there's a virus. You know, I've never said that, and I never would, because it is. But you know, I understand those that stay away, that take the precaution. But why? Why are the leaders not even doing what they say to do? And why are they wanting nothing better to fill us with fear and leave us to suffocate? Because they think they have life, but they do not. God knows all hearts. Proverbs says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now they think that this worldview, this way, this order of things is the way to life, but it will not lead us rightly. It only leads to death. Sadly, the march of our culture is on that line. There's life over here, there's safety over here or there. Trust this, trust that. Why trust them? They definitely you know, follow the science, the actual science, but why trust people that gladly abort at full term, gamble with everyone's lives and practice abomination and serve idols rather than living God? Oh, and then I thought about this. You know, why, even in those things, why would we ever think that this nation is safe from the judgment of a living God? I'm sorry if this isn't a hope-filled sermon. I hope it is. No, but it's, there's great danger. I've heard that from, from a lot of commentators and stuff that I listen to, that there's great danger. And I think there's a greater danger that if we build ourselves or our lives on anything else but the Lord, if we trust in anything else, we will face our own death, even in this life. If there's people out there that trust in these things and and believe in it, they'll face a second death. So we need to build on the Lord. We need to seek to trust him. And we as a church need to seek to be people of truth. You know, that seems to be lacking most of all in our world today. Because you know, I even still hear that, you know, all the lockdowns are working and will work. Uh, 
but I would point to the great Barrington, Barrington Declaration that has 10,000 medical professionals have signed this thing saying, stating that they have grave concerns about the damaging psych, uh, psychological, so mental uh, impacts and health, uh, physical health impacts on lockdowns. They recommend an approach called focus protection. That's where like back in days of black plague or even smallpox that I studied in high school, you would have parts of the town quarantined for people that were sick. And we would quarantine those that need protection but not the general population. Um, and the, you know, the World Health Organization who said lockdowns would work is now screaming and trying to halt that lockdowns do not work. A closer look at it as well, uh, the John Hopkins faculty member stated this in an article, a closer look at the US deaths due to COVID-19 states the data analysis suggests that in contrast of what most people assume, like it's, we can talk about that later, um, but, um, the number of deaths by COVID-19 is not alarming. In fact, it has had no death, no effects on the death rate in the United States. Okay. You know, then there's masks. The New England Journal of Medicine stated this in an article in May. We know that wearing masks outside of a healthcare facility offer little, if any, protection from infection. In many cases, the desire for widespread masking is a reflective or reactive, yeah, reactive. It's a placebo against the pandemic. There's the word I can say, <laughs> but it's a reactive. And then there is a study in Denmark from April and May that shows that mask measures do not reduce the rate of infection. Uh, Rand Paul actually said that once they instituted masks, the infection rates went up. I'm like, well, yeah, because you have this blanket in front of you, like Linus, right? You know, you're safe. Right? Well, the CDC on our own, Turf tells us that 70% of people reported wearing a mask at all time and still got COVID-19. Well, yeah, that 3% of variance really helps. <laughs> right? Now, so the truth is the narrative I fear is not about a virus. Yes, a virus that does hurt and kill and has hurt, but more about conformity, more about stepping into line on a global scale, which John MacArthur, Pastor John MacArthur, he... A couple weeks ago, he preached a sermon on this that he had never seen before. He's like 80 years old, and he's never seen this, that on a global scale it came to this. But it lines up with a certain book. It lines up with stuff coming. So let us take heart. Let us have the Lord build us that even in these times, we can trust him. We can have the knowledge that death and judgment do come no matter what we die from. And let us not trust in our own devices or ways, but let us wholeheartedly lean upon the Lord and be about his vision, his mission, his gospel, which is the power unto salvation. Well, let's uh, close with a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we... 
We thank you for today. We thank you that we can come together and, and praise your name. We can just open up your scripture and know that we need to be built by you. We need to lean upon you and trust you and we need to understand that death and judgment do come. So let us go. Let us, let us sing to the glory of the newborn king and let us, let us go in our day to day and in everything that we would proclaim Christ crucified for the all of man, from whatever ethos, whatever people group that we can believe, that we can repent and believe in the Son of Man and be saved and know where we are going. Because one day we will die. All of life is terminal. Lord, as we open the door to a new year, let us celebrate. Let us be thankful for the times that we have had together. Let us be thankful for things that you have taught us, how you have held us through this year, looking back and being thankful, but looking forward and knowing that you are a God that keeps promises, that we await your return. We await rapture, which is our hope. But let us, in our awaiting you, go forward and tell and point about you to all of the nations. I just praise you, Lord, and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh,